faithwire.com. The Biden administration has paused its disinformation board and the spin from the Washington Post in their article on it is something to behold. Today is Wednesday, May 18th, 2022. I'm Dan Andros. We'll have that top story and more on today's 4 and 3 podcast from CBN's Faithwire. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you haven't yet, go ahead and do that right now. We'd love to have you with us each and every day as we go through the news of the day from a Christian perspective. With me today, as always, Trey Goins, Phillips, Billy Hallowell, also from CBN's Faithwire.com. With a look at what's coming up on the pod today. What's going on, guys? Happy Wednesday. It's the news of the cray. News of the cray on a Wednesday. <laughs> on <hump> day. <laughs> yeah. There's no shortage of it. There never is. Yeah, so, yeah that's yeah. true. So what do we got coming up? Well, I'm going to be talking about a brand new survey that has a shocking stat in it. It shows the percentage of American pastors who hold to a biblical worldview and those who don't. Mm. So we'll talk about that. And I'm going to be talking about a rattled mom who was very emotional, appearing at a school board meeting in Las Vegas. Her mic was cut off when she shared the assignment her teen daughter was allegedly forced to memorize and recite in class. Unbelievable. Lack of self-awareness levels off the charts on that by that (laughs) board. They're not realizing what they, they had just done, essentially proved the mom's point. And they didn't even realize they did that. So that's amazing. Looking forward to that one. Um, of course, today, guys, big story, the primaries in Pennsylvania. Here in my state, uh, we've got Dr. Oz and McCormick in a neck and neck. They're going to have to go and count up uh, every vote that's remaining out there. All the absentee ballots, um, things of that nature, mail-ins that haven't been counted yet. So um, they're still adding all that up, but it's very close. And so we'll see the results there. And you can check out all the results uh, from the different big races around the country at cbnnews.com. Uh, we've got all the coverage there. Uh, but we are going to start here, guys, with the breaking news today that the Biden administration has paused its disinformation board uh, shortly after it actually was announced. So back on uh, April 27th, DHS, they announced this creation of this, uh, the very first disinformation governance board. And it was supposed to be coordinating and count or it was supposed to coordinate countering misinformation related to homeland security and so there was controversy with Nina Jankowitz who uh, was 33 years old and was tapped to head this disinformation board of course a lot of people pointed out that it was a little too on the nose for the ministry of truth from George Orwell's 1984 and so the scoop today came from the Washington Post and Taylor Lorenz, who you may remember as the reporter who doxed and outed the identity of the person behind the Libs of TikTok account. So just three weeks after its annou- announcement, the Disinformation Governance Board is being paused. This is according to multiple employees at the DHS. And Monday, DHS then officially decided to shut down the board. This is still not public, but according to sources... Uh, close to the situation, according to this Washington uh, Post report. And Jankowitz herself was pulled into an urgent call with DHS officials, who apparently gave her the choice to stay on, even as the department was saying that they're not going to be doing this work anymore. And any group that was in the DHS focused on misinformation or disinformation or quote-unquote malinformation, that work has been suspended 
uh, while they review this. And so here comes some of the Washington Post uh, spin. They said, Nina Jankowitz uh, has been subjected to unjustified and vile personal attacks and physical threats. And um, she hasn't spoken publicly about her position since the day it was announced. And it says, Jankowitz's experience is a prime example of how the right-wing internet apparatus operates, where far-right influencers attempt to identify a target, present a narrative, then repeat mischaracterizations across social media and websites within the aim of discrediting and attacking anyone who seeks to challenge them. It also shows what happens when institutions, when confronted with these attacks, don't respond effectively. (laughs) Uh, So I found that particular spin, which is kind of laced throughout this article, not going to read the whole thing, just just some portions of it here. Um, Quite interesting because at no point does Taylor Lorenz mention anyone on the left doing that. She just talks about, oh, someone on the right posted something and it went viral. And as if it's this completely manufactured thing and there's no validity behind the complaint or not. It, like, Could it be possible that people just don't want a ministry of truth, so to speak, and that, that, that it actually resonates with people and that is why it's going viral? She acts like it's just completely manufactured and there's just a couple of right-wing nutbags who say it's bad, and then that's the only reason this thing is being opposed, not that actually people are opposed to this idea because they see the obvious problems with it. Um, She goes on to say the board was created to study best practices in combating the harmful effects of disinformation and to help DHS counter viral lies and propaganda that could threaten domestic security. But unlike the Ministry of Truth, which became a derogatory comparison point, neither the board nor Jankowitz had any power or ability to declare what is true or false or compel internet providers, social media platforms, or public schools to take action against certain types of speech. In fact, the board itself has no power or authority to make any operational decisions. This this argument and this spin is incredulous to me because Clearly, this type of an organization would be putting government weight behind factual information. I mean, we can, you don't have to go way back in the time machine to look at how, what happened very quickly with the CDC during the pandemic. That the CDC, no one used to listen to it. It used to just be, oh, the CDC recommends. Did did anyone ever go to the CDC site and go, I wonder what the CDC is saying today? But it did not take long before. If you win against anything the CDC said, look at what all of the uh, social media platforms are doing. You would get banned. You know, you'd get your account suspended or banned or deleted for posting things that went against a CDC recommendation. And the Biden administration itself lobbied all of these outlets and these social media platforms actually do things to combat quote unquote information. And so that's why all these outlets then went and put the DC and made them the arbiter of truth on this. And you couldn't post it. So anyway, there's an obvious precedent that just happened that we're still in the midst of to say what would what we, we can look to and see what would happen with this disinformation board and the information they put out there. And we've seen time and time again that these fact checkers, that they're that there's spin on them and that it's very much political spin and they treat it as pure facts. So. Um, so clearly this is problematic on so many fronts, but they continue to spin this as um, just a right-wing attack that is totally unjustified 
And now we're going to be subject to all this dangerous information. And I think this article itself, guys, really kind of highlights exactly why um, this board is a disastrous idea. Because one side views itself as the truth. And they don't see that they could possibly be wrong on anything. And they want to delete the other side as misinformation. Um, clearly, the, the potential for abuse is obvious. and But already the blinders are on. For, this is the Washington Post, guys. And they don't mention at all even the possibility of less left-wing disinformation. And well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so so anyway, so th that's why it matters. I mean, clearly, this battle for information is something that you know the left has clearly pushed, and they they would love to control it. Whereas the right has generally been not about canceling everybody and not about deleting the other opinions, but debating those opinions. And so, and so, I find this you know incredibly disturbing that the Washington Post is willing to put this spin out here. And I think again, it underscores exactly why this government board is a terrible idea. Yeah, and I think it's interesting in her piece talking about, you know, information being peddled and perpetuated and put out there that's untrue. When when we looked at that libs of TikTok thing, how many times did they say that they gave no personal information out when they very clearly <laughs> right, in the original right. in the original version? I mean, it's what's so crazy about this particular reporter slash commentator, because that's what she essentially is, is that she has no self-awareness. Everything she's accusing the other side of, she appears to be doing um, repeatedly, including acting as though the, this is some sort of insane thing that people would be concerned. Any If Donald Trump created a ministry of <laughs> oh truth, my goodness. can you imagine the <laughs> meltdown that these people, and rightfully so, I think anybody should be having a meltdown right. when, when, any, when the government's going to come in and say, we're going to be the arbiters of what is true, when you have children who are middle school students being purportedly punished for using the wrong pronoun. I mean, go across the line here when the government steps in with a standard and they then push that standard on everybody and they decide what is quote unquote truth in this my truth, your truth disaster that we're living in, it's concerning. And so I just find it particularly strange that the media, the purported gatekeeper protecting the public from whoever the government is at the time, is not only not doing their job here, but they're creating false narratives and perpetuating them. It's actually really, this is becoming exactly what again you know i'm not saying donald trump's right about everything but when he talked about the media they're feeding right into the very fears that he was creating in the way he talked about the press and mm. it's unfortunate yeah yeah no for sure and i i think it's important to remember that when the government takes um takes power in any in any area they don't really historically give it back mm -mm. Um, so I always think like when when one government sets something up like this, do they not think do they not have the the forethought to know uh, that you're not always going to be the one in power? There's going to be somebody else who comes into right. power. So let's just assume that they're benevolent right now, and this is going to be really great. Uh, it's not like this is going to go away. There's going to be new people who come in, and couldn't they use it for nefarious reasons uh, to to quash uh, criticisms of the government that they don't like, you know, whatever. So I just think there are so many more red flags than than benefits to something like this uh, that, that I, I, it's bizarre to me that more people aren't outraged. But, you know, I also think... People aren't told to be outraged like they would be, as you said, Billy, if it was a Republican and certainly if it was Donald Trump's administration who did something like this. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and again, I'm I'm a little startled by the Washington Post. I mean, I shouldn't be at this point because, like you said, Billy, they essentially lied about that libs of TikTok report and said, oh, we didn't yeah. release any personal information, but um, they clearly did. It's on the Internet. It's actually out there for anybody to see it. And I saw one line that was actually pretty funny. They said, I'm beginning to think democracy dies in the darkness is a mission statement, not a not a tag, not a tagline. <laughs> um, but th- that is the disturbing part to me is that this this is the Washington Post. And as best I can tell here, it's not labeled as an opinion piece. This is like a scoop they got about this about this disinformation governance board basically shutting down or at least pausing for now, but looking like it's going to shut down. And then spinning this as just this right wing thing that it was right. it was totally this great idea. And it was these right wingers that just made up fake things and then got it canceled. Like you you're the Washington Post. You're supposed to accurately present both sides of the issue here. Hey, this is why the government felt it was a good idea. X, Y and Z. Here are the mistakes they made rolling it out. Here are the concerns that critics have. It's not hard, guys, to just lay out both sides and show what the what the arguments are and fairly represent it. But so this well, is this is no spin. awareness. Yeah, it, you have it no, isn't if you have no self awareness. It's right, very hard. Right. This is no. spin. Like this is spin. This article is completely spin. She she portrays this Nina Jankowitz person as just a nonpartisan person who just wants to fight disinformation. Just stop well, that's what it. She is too. You didn't know. I mean, she she went after an account. I mean, we know the story with libs of TikTok. Again, everything she's claiming in here, the right wing just picks something, they pick a target, and they go after them. What was the libs of TikTok thing? They went after a target. They yeah. picked a target, and they went after it. So, again, if you want to defend that, that's fine. But to then go out and create this false narrative, and really what is so dangerous about this, and, and, I, and I always say this about media bias, when you allow your bias to overtake your coverage and they all mm-hmm. just merge into one thing, the public is not going to trust you when something big no. happens and when we actually need information. And we've seen this happen already. I mean, the things about COVID and other things that were legitimate and needed to be put out there, if there's another pandemic, good luck getting anybody to trust anything the government and the media are saying. And that's the real danger of media bias. Well, yeah, I mean, because they just, they superimpose the media, a, a, a story on top of a framework that already exists. And the framework is that if it's a Republican, the Republican angle is like they're Frank Underwood from House of Cards. And the Democrat is always like Mother Teresa. <laughs> right. so like, and then they just fit whatever the story right. is of the right. day into that framework. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, it, not surprising from the Washington Post, unfortunately. Yeah, indeed. All so, right. Well, uh, yeah, let's head on into uh, story number two. All right, story number two. So preachers who hold to a biblical worldview are apparently in the minority. So a shocking new survey from researcher and pollster George Barna of the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University found that just 37% of American pastors hold to a, quote, biblical worldview. Uh, Barna, speaking of the survey results, said that this is another strong piece of evidence that the culture is influencing the American church more than Christian churches are influencing the culture. The research indicates that Americans are more likely to experience a positive impact on their worldview by hanging out with spiritually active, uh, engaged, conservative Christians than they are by being in the presence or under the teaching of pastors. Uh, For the most part, Barna explained, people largely form their perspectives on the world before they reach the age of 13 years old. 
Then after that, he said, they go through, quote, a period of refinement during their teens and 20s. Uh, he said, from a worldview perspective, a church's most important ministers are the children's pastors and the youth pastors. Discovering that seven out of every eight of those pastors lack a biblical worldview helps to explain why so few people in the nation's youngest generations, think of, of Gen Z, uh, are developing a heart and mind for biblical principles and ways of life, and why our society seems to have run wild over the last decade in particular. Uh, so according to information that was provided to us uh, by the Arizona Christian University, uh, Barna's uh, American Worldview Inventory is an annual survey that de was developed in 2020 and is conducted by uh, the university's Cultural Research Center. They survey about 2,000 randomly selected American adults, uh, and the survey contains 54, quote, belief and behavior questions uh, that determine a biblical worldview. Some of the categories in the questions uh, are, you know, faith practices, your view of human character and nature, your idea of God and creation and history, uh, your view of purpose and calling, sin and salvation, uh, Bible uh, stories, uh, truths and morals. Those are just a, a few of the categories that are explored in these 54 questions. Uh, and Barna said that respondents who answer 80% or more of the belief questions and 80% or more uh, of the behavioral questions in harmony with biblical teaching are then identified as integrated disciples, uh, which are people who have integrated biblical principles into their mind and heart in such a way that they clearly have a biblical view of and approach to life. Uh, so the, the results of the survey are certainly concerning, uh, and Barna said as much. He said that they are concerning, that this is not the kind of result that you would like to see as a Christian, particularly, at, you know, especially of pastors. Um, but it's not all negative. Uh, he actually said he's not defeated by the survey results and said that it's important to highlight uh, the existence of a problem, uh, which this is a problem if, if the survey results really are indicative of, of a reality. Uh, he said, so identifying the problem is the, uh, is the first step to fixing it, because if you don't know that there's an issue, uh, you can't fix it. But he said that God is certainly capable uh, of resolving this. He said God is in the transformation business. Pastors who are willing to allow him to transform their thinking and behavior can emerge from that process as a powerful example of what can happen when one's heart, mind, and soul are surrendered to God. It certainly seems that if America is going to experience a spiritual revival, that awakening is needed just as desperately in our pulpits as it is in the pews. Um, so certainly like fascinating uh, results here in the survey, I think, as far as why it matters, is exactly what Barna said, is you have to identify a problem uh, before you can address it. Uh, and the world is throwing so much at particularly younger generations, uh, whether it's about sexuality or stuff like climate change or uh, about race relations, you know, whatever. Uh, there are so many things uh, vying for younger kids and teens and young adults' attention uh, that we need to have sound doctrine being taught in churches, uh, it, you know, at the pulpit and in small groups and, and whatever. So uh, it's important to highlight the problem, but it's it's good to know and to remember, like Barna said, uh, that God is in the transformation business, that if we identify this problem and we're prayerful and we're diligent and, you know, committed uh, to what Scripture says, uh, we can turn these results around in the other direction. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, you look at something like this, and of course, you know, you wonder exactly how precise can... Sure. Can 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 figuring out if someone has a biblical worldview or not be because obviously there's going to be a lot of gray areas there. Yeah. But 
but but given the amount of questions and the the ones that I've seen, you know, it seems like you get a good idea if someone's truly following the Bible or not in the way they live. And and there's probably some red flags, you know, that if people answer an obvious one and they're not answering it correctly, then then that should be a sign for concern. But that but that is a a, bit, a massive concern because you think you go to a church, you kind of just assume that they love the Bible, that they try to live as best they can following, you know, God's way that he lays out for us in the Bible. And that's not always the case. And so you got to use discernment yourself. But um, like you said, we got to be praying that that these pastors who are shepherding people. And remember, if you're if you're a pastor, if you're a teacher, you are held to a higher account. You, you are going to have a greater um, sort of, uh, you know, I guess, consequence if you're leading people astray. So uh, of all people, they should be really uh, making sure that they're doing it right. And obviously no one's going to do it perfectly. But, um, you know, if if you can not pass something that says you're living by a biblical worldview and you're a pastor, that's a, that is a, that is a warning sign for sure. Well, I think it, it really points to the broader issues that we have in culture right now, which is that the church in many ways, and not always, there's lots of great churches doing the right thing and lots of believers who are on target, but the church is being impacted by the culture more sometimes than the culture is being impacted by the church. And that, I mean, this is an ongoing struggle. We see it with young people. It's really tragic to see it in the pulpit, but we see Generation Z is a complete disaster on the faith front. There are a lot of little glimmers of hope in there, but the point is you've got to get in there and make an impact. And if we're seeing our pastors falling into this, man, we've we've got a lot of work to do here. So for me, that's the that's the key takeaway. And it kind of brings me back to, well, what can I do to be a better steward of making sure that that I'm reaching not just the next generation, but even the people in our churches and in particular our church leaders, we've talked about this before. I think it's really easy to forget that pastors are people too, and they have their own set of struggles. And in some ways they struggle even more in that position and that we should be there to sustain and help build them up as well. Yeah, definitely. All right. So that brings us to our last story. And this story is just wild to me. I spent a long time going through it this morning, trying to understand the ins and outs of it. But there's a Las Vegas mother. I mean, she appeared at a May 12th Clark County School District board meeting, and she shared what she believed was, quote, pornographic material that her teenage daughter was apparently forced to memorize and to act out in her classroom. Now, I'm gonna read you a quote from this mother. Her name is Kendra Evans, and she stood before the school board. She seemed very nervous. In fact, at one point, it seemed like she was trying to have somebody else read this for her. Um, She didn't seem to wanna do it. And here's what she said when she finally got up to the podium. She said, quote, I'm going to give you an assignment given to my 15-year-old daughter at a local high school. This will be horrifying for me to read to you, but that will give you that will give your perspective on how she must have felt when her teacher required her to memorize this and to act it out in front of her entire class. Now, I mentioned she seemed emotional. She seemed rattled as she stood there. Um, And then she started to read this apparent passage. Now, we don't have confirmation. The school district is investigating this, that this is exactly what was said. We have the video over at Faithwire. You can check it out. But she starts to read it, and there are some very inappropriate words in this. And she's a few seconds into reciting this assignment that, remember, was apparently given to a teenage girl, a 15-year-old girl, 
her daughter uh, to recite, and they apparently turn her microphone off. When you watch the video, it seems like her mic is turned off, and somebody on the school board says, hold on, we have to stop here. You know, we're not using profanity, this person says. They then go on to say, this is a public meeting. I asked for decorum. <laughs> and it's just so comical because the contents of this purported excerpt, right, that were apparently shared with students in a classroom were apparently too graphic to be proclaimed at this adult-led meeting, right? And that's sort of the, the parent's point here, right? Now, she actually responds, and it's brilliant. She says, if you don't want me to read it to you, what was it like for my 15-year-old daughter to have to memorize pornographic material? And at this point in the video, you see the superintendent apparently steps in and says that there are staff who are on, who are working on this, which apparently means they're, they're already looking into it. But they do allow her, there was some misinformation out there, by the way, speaking of misinformation boards, <laughs> there were some posts on the internet saying that the mother wasn't allowed to continue from there, uh, but she was. She said, can I please continue saying what I wanted to say? And she goes on to, to talk about some of the laws that she believes were actually violated with this assignment. She talked about one statute that makes it a crime for a person to knowingly use, encourage, entice, or permit a minor to be the subject of a sexual portrayal um, in a performance. So she talked about just some of the laws she thought were violated. Um, she said that her daughter was apparently, obviously the daughter came home and talked to her mom about it. The mother went and met with the district. And according to the mom, and again, we don't know, this isn't confirmed, but the school district said they blamed the daughter for not saying no to the assignment, <laughs> according to the mom. Um, and then she went on to say that she had another meeting. She reached out to an advocacy group and met with a regional superintendent and that that meeting was much more productive. She said, quote, teachers are in a position of power. Educators must understand the laws about sexual abuse. Uh, but I want to note one other thing that I thought was interesting about this mom. She went on to say, look, my daughter loves this teacher. She raves about this teacher. And our family is not looking to get the educator fired. That is not our goal. They just want to deal with the scenario. Her daughter is shaken up by it. Um, and so it, it was just so crazy because the school district then obviously put out a statement because this has blown up in the last couple of days and gone mega viral. Um, but the Clark County School District said they're investigating the circumstances. But I want to read this. And Libs of TikTok responded to this uh, quite negatively. They said, quote, the circumstances surrounding a class assignment consisting of a student generated writing exercise that produced content not conducive to student instruction. And so people were sort of hitting back at that response. Now it may be true that this was student generated, that this didn't come from the teacher, uh, but a lot of people, or at least lives of TikTok felt that that was kind of like, you know, oh, they're blaming it on the stu another student, right? They're saying this came from a student um, and the district is not going to comment obviously on, on this at this time because it's obviously an employee and personnel issue. But man, why does it matter? It matters because it's insane that a mother would go to read something that was apparently shared in a classroom and would not be allowed to do it <laughs> at yeah. the board meeting. Yeah. And I think it speaks to the broader issues yeah, we have going on right now in education. Yeah, and I think it also... Um validates my point that I've been saying often, which is, uh, man, these homeschooling ads are really powerful. <laughs> Every time I see one of these, that's what I say. But uh, it's it is it's 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 unbelievable that a teacher could actually think that something like that was appropriate on any level. I mean, it's just it's it's beyond comprehension how someone who's in charge of kids could possibly sit there and say, okay, yeah, this sounds like a good idea. Uh, it's it's remarkable. It's remarkable. Yeah. I, I mean, I, you just can't overstate the irony of 
parents who get up and read something and then they're reprimanded for reading yeah. it because it's inappropriate. I mean, like, right. uh, I, I think that it's happened uh, in Fairfax or Loudoun County uh, several months ago. It might have happened in both, but there, there's one clip that I'm thinking of in particular, and I can't remember which county it was in, uh, that she started, the mother started reading out of the book, and she, the uh, school board member told her to stop and specifically <laughs> said, you can't read that because there are children present in the gallery. <laughs> and I thought, yet they don't a child who's in elementary school could go and pick they this did. book yep. up, you know, and would be encouraged to do that. Yeah. Um, so I just... You can't overstate how out of touch it seems so many of these school board members are. Now, a lot of times what happens in the classroom, they might not be aware of and something's presented to them. So some of the time you can make that argument. But with this issue that has been so prevalent and so obvious and so people have been so outspoken about and school boards still uh, kind of act like this, it's just as... Uh, it's mind-boggling, and like you said, Dan, it's probably is the best advertisement for homeschool. <laughs> as, uh, as the resident homeschooling expert, yes, as the resident liar, yes, homeschool liar. That's that's what we do here. So, all right, <laughs> that's all the time we have for this episode of the podcast. As always, head on over to cbnnews.com, faithwire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. And um, Lord willing, and that creek don't rise. We'll be back here tomorrow with more on Friday, Junior. See, we're over the hump. We're past halfway, kind of. Almost. Maybe. News of the Cray. More of it tomorrow. God bless. We'll see you then.